Welcome to the Endgame Thursday podcast. This is Max speaking with me. Sometimes, always. Making my is David his big return in the World Cup coverage. I did the last couple myself, and you know what? We went and missed a couple of rounds of the knockout stages due to, uh, you know, professional reasons. We had actual things work to do. Yeah, and it was hard to cover both. Um, I'm sorry you missed us terribly, as I'm sure you did. We're back to talk about the World Cup semifinals. Max, before we get into it, what were you doing that kept you so I was busy? doing movies. Yeah. I was making movies. And you're taking set, boring right? tests. Yeah, I was taking Ooh. five exams, writing a paper, law school things. It's boring. No one wants yeah. to hear about so true. antitrust law. So Why'd you bring it up? <laughs> well, I thought people might want to hear about oh. your movie things, uh, which is a little more interesting. Let's stick to the doing. football, though, because we have we had two... Exciting, well-played semifinals. Um, we're also going to track back and say goodbye to some of the teams, some of the nations we lost along the way in the knockouts. But first, let's get right to it. Today's second semifinal, France 2, nil, Morocco. Starting with the second one? Yeah. That makes sense. Because it just happened. Okay. Yeah, what did you think of this game, Max? What's your first overall? Well, let's thought? first say uh, we had an early goal, fifth minute from Milan's own Teo Hernandez. David will get his Milan minute. Best left back in the world. Yeah, sure. Uh, I can't yeah. believe that. So. Uh, yeah, I know you do. Uh, yeah, Teo Hernandez. Um, the got them off to a flying start. Morocco had been and has been dealing with fitness issues for a bunch of their key players, especially in defense. There were questions about you know Mesrawi missed. At least the quarterfinals may be part of the round of 16, too. Aguard came off um, in the round of 16, I believe, against Spain. Uh, and then they lost Captain Roman Saiz midway through the Portugal match. Um, so they, they were short on defenders. Um, you know, three of their primary four were had fitness questions. Masrawi did start the game, um, only made it till halftime, right? No, he, yeah, half time yeah. for him. Yeah. Saiz started the game, only made it 20 minutes. So it was clear they weren't really fit and we're, we're just trying to give it everything. Yeah, there was give it a, go. a moment early on after France had scored their first goal where there's a ball that kind of bounces over Saiz and you can see him not really contest to go up on it. He gets beat for pace by Giroud, who is not the paciest person on the field. And I think after that, it was pretty clear that he was just not yeah ready to play he was not healthy enough to be out there and contribute mm-hmm. to morocco but props to him for giving it giving it a go yeah. but it was but not his day all this is to say that um they started with not their preferred back line today um they also started in a back five rather than a back four um and unfortunately for morocco the first goal came from what seemed to be a pretty glaring mistake from al yamik on the left side of that back three um, he sort of lunged in for a challenge instead of holding holding that defensive shape. Suddenly, France have an overload on the on the on the right flank. They're in behind. Uh, the ball is crossed back. I think from Griezmann to I don't remember who was in the box, but it, I think it was Mbappe. Yeah, it's sort of a deflected shot. Falls to the far post where Teo uh, arrives, meets the ball, gets really really high boot with his left kick. Uh, really impressive finish actually for you need really flexible hips for that one yeah it's a semi-scorpion kick because he leaves the ground but not much but yeah it contorted his body it looked like finish yeah if you just saw that goal you'd say oh that has to be a Giroud goal but I guess (laughs) it's rubbing off onto Teo Hernandez now yeah it was a good I mean it's a perfect start for France it's kind of what they do in tournaments they score early they chill with their lead 
Um, and, and it, it looked like an that, after that goal also highlights some of the the key difference that France have in options with Teo there at left back than with Lucas because Lucas Hernandez would never have been in that position like high up in that yeah yeah so it's just like they such different players I think so it works a lot better in this case it. I think than having the four center backs lined up in the back yes. four like having someone like Kunde who hangs back and covers and someone who guns for it is a little more of like a club mentality I think and mm-hmm. um so that was a nice start for them Morocco it was kind of the nightmare for Morocco is that they you know everything they've avoided so far which was a conceding a goal to another to a player on another team yeah. um and you know losing the defensive shape that's been so epic for them um from what i believe is an individual mistake it's funny i'm looking here looking at the fop mob ratings and it's they're telling me elia has the best rating in the <laughs> in the moroccan team well they didn't as, count that as a yeah mistake leading yeah. to a goal yeah yeah would have impacted it but he did, I think. I'm, I'm sure he, that, he had. A yeah, game. I don't say and it looked a little dicey for me after that for large parts of the first half. Like it was clear right after the goal that Morocco was going to be the one to take the initiative in terms of possession. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a battle of two teams that really don't want to be the ones to do that. Morocco, part partly because of like the need to now produce an equalizer, but also because um, France are, you know, plays right into their hands. Um and so France is happy to have 40% of the ball and just like, and, and, and pick them off in midfield and hit them on the counter. And it, to me, it looked like for at least like the first 30 minutes of the first half, Morocco had a couple of decent moves, but a lot of the, I feel like every time they turned the ball over, France was like arriving in a dangerous situation in the box. Drew had a, a pair of really, really tight chances. Yeah. Um, One that hit the post um, that you felt like this France could be out and, away with it at halftime yeah if he scores that i think that might have been the game I mean, yeah they looked like they were ready to run away with it if that goes in but he just kind of rushed the opportunity i think he didn't realize how much time he was going to have when he got that ball in mm-hmm. the center of the box with nobody around him but his mm-hmm. back was to goal he tried to play it and turn at the same time first time and yeah couldn't quite get around it he had the time to take a touch though yeah interestingly it seemed like in the last 10 minutes of the first half morocco finally could have got a grip Interesting, it was not long after Saiz had to come out for fitness. And instead of maintaining the back five shape, they actually put in, went to more of like a 4-3-3, I think, mm-hmm. and put a midfielder in for him, um, bringing in, uh, who was it, Amala? Yeah, Salim Amala. Um, and that actually seemed to function pretty well. They started having a little more control in the midfield. They weren't turning the ball over as much. And coming out in the second half, I thought I think we were both really impressed with what Morocco was able to do in possession and what they were able to generate. Regragi, the coach for Morocco, keeps sort of demonstrating really impressive tactical ability. I think mm-hmm. as well as the player management. I think like they, um, you know, they pointed this out on the broadcast even. So you know, I can't pretend like Stu Holden didn't also see it. But I feel like they did a really good job in the second half of sort of shifting the France block around side to side. And finding little like four v three or three v two overloads on each flank, mm-hmm. um, getting some stuff into the box in a way that even though England had a really lot of nice real play against France, they didn't. I don't think like their biggest flaw in that game was that they once they got to the final third, they didn't do enough of that. They weren't yeah. able to find as much space in behind, and that's why they only their non penalty xg was only something like point five, I think, in yeah, that game or point seven. There, yeah, uh, it was less than one anyway. Um, Morocco ended up with the same problem as England, though, is that they couldn't find that last bit of quality 
mm-hmm. in front of goal. But I think they, I think their their build up approach was a little more. I don't want to say brave because you're down one nil and somehow you have to play bravely. But yeah. I think it was, I think it was, it was well executed. And I think there was a like t- twenty minute spell in that second half where France were really on the ropes a little bit in defense, and it was coming down to like last ditch clearances in the box. Yeah. Yeah, I there were a few scrambles where Morocco didn't really end up getting anything off that they could have, mm-hmm. and the XG would look very different. Yeah, it reflects that for sure. Um, but I thought France did a decent job at last ditch defending, but I thought their defense was particularly from the center backs bad at stepping up and engaging. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you mentioned about Morocco kind of shifting play back and forth, I thought it looked a lot like they were going to their left so they could move it back to their right. Mm-hmm. Because they knew before Taram came on, which I think we'll talk about that sub, and I thought he had a great great game when he came on. But before Taram came on, Mbappe wasn't tracking back at all. No, And Shulmany, it doesn't drift wide very well. It's not a natural thing that he wants yeah. to do. So it basically left Teo over there, who's probably the worst defender on the France team. Um, Except for Mbappe. Yeah. <laughs> Him trying to defend both. Ziyech and Hakimi. I thought he did a great job doing that today. Yeah. I thought he was very impressive in defense today. I think the but also, it's just, you know, yeah. you have two of Morocco's best players yeah. over there. They were definitely getting done one, over there a little bit. We'll say the one one thing though that we should give Deschamps credit for is uh is the role Griezmann plays on obviously he's a great creator for the for the squad, but in defense, because Mbappe, because they don't even Mbappe, you saw him tracking back. Further and further over the course of the second half when they're under yeah. it a little bit, especially but, as the whole block drifted yeah. back. But the idea, I think, usually is that they that instead of like, you know, with like a common block, mid block shape or whatever is a four four two to fall into, and mm-hmm. instead of uh, Griezmann being the natural one to go up into the two, like Mbappe comes over from the left yeah. to be in that two, so he doesn't have to go on the left flank as much, like he sometimes does at club, mm-hmm. and that may then so that a midfielder or Griezmann can end up on the left in the. But um, yeah, I think David's pulling up a Griezmann touch map today, mm-hmm. and I think that represents that pretty clearly. It's all over the place. <laughs> yeah, it's everywhere. middle, yeah, right he, flank, he clearly, left flank. There were times when Dembele goes super far wide that Griezmann's spilling into that channel over on the right. Yeah, he is switching with Mbappe, and like you said, you can see it on here when they do uh, shift into an actual solid block, not on the counter, because when they're on the counter, Griezmann is obviously still yeah. up at the front you know he's not recovering that place really impressive but he does shift back into that that almost looks like that looks spot. like a neymar touch map or something you know yeah looks like how neymar is for brazil where he gets to play he gets to be like creative the anywhere he wants to be on the offense in in, in attack and then in defense he's just like plugging holes wherever yeah. you need it's, so Mbappe or griezmann i think i, I didn't there's just something about him playing for France. Like it doesn't matter what his form is and mm-hmm. in he's, club. He's always he's allowed to express himself. I think for yeah. France in a way he isn't at the club level, and he's just a player who I think thrives in that position where he mm-hmm. gets to kind of be the creative thrust. Yeah, in the team, he gets to decide where the ball is going. He gets to decide where he's going to play because he can read the game so well, mm-hmm. and he can do pretty much anything you ask him to do. Yeah. So and with all this credit being given to you know. Mbappe, Giroud, rightfully so, and and Dembele too. I think Griezmann deserves to be equally praised. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's just there's only so many players on France you can give credit to, and I feel like yeah. all eleven of them deserve credit for this tournament. They've been yeah. Weirdly, another really good. I can't believe I'm saying this too, but France missed Adrian Rabiot today. Yeah, uh, I thought he didn't start through illness. Instead, replaced by Yusuf Fafana, uh, preferred 
uh, to pair alongside Shuameni rather than uh, Edward Kamavinga surprised me a little bit just because I haven't seen Fabana a lot. I didn't, yeah. um, but I suppose it's like the, yeah, I don't know. It was, I, I, I'm not sure he, I don't want to say he had a bad game. Fabmob loves his rating. Yeah, because uh, he makes a lot of yeah. easy passes in that. I role, didn't know, so. but I, we were talking about this during the game. It's like I didn't really notice him today. Like he didn't st- stand out to me at all the way like Shuameni tends to. Mm-hmm. Um, although yeah. Shuameni did get done one time today in mm-hmm. possession for a big, oh, by, big counterattacking chance yeah. for that was when the Amrabat took it from right. Yeah, it got, like, yeah. Well, I don't know who it was, but it was like counter press, sort of in the not quite at the halfway line. It was yeah, nearly Almost costly. Like the Morocco goal. Up when they're only up one nil. So Shumani still has a couple of moments of youth, mm-hmm. like like when he brought down Saka for the first England penalty in the quarters. But um for the most part, damn, he looks amazing. In the midfield, I thought Fofana was like okay. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't spectacular, he wasn't terrible. Yeah, but he didn't offer a ton going forward. He had two shots, neither were particularly yeah, much to do with any like they were just mm-hmm. yeah. It was, in, was interesting, yeah. He Linked in okay with Shumeni, but he didn't really do a lot to move the ball forward. You know, it was never like, oh, Fofana's on the ball, and suddenly they're able to create a break. It was like, Fofana's mm-hmm. on the ball, they just kind of pass it around, and he doesn't really add a ton offensively. Yeah. And he didn't – he got a little out-muscled, I think, in the midfield, which is weird. Like, I don't think he's a particularly weak player in no. that area, but he was getting a little out-muscled by – or maybe he's just out-hustled by Unahi and Amrabat, who are, you know, Two very feisty midfielders who will you don't out hustle and out hustle pretty much anyone, but he's like it was weird because I it didn't expect much from him coming in, but I also leave a little like not knowing how he played. Yeah, I think you saw a little bit that eventually the France ridiculous depth in the France midfield could run out. Yeah. Um that said they left Kamavinka on the bench all day today. And Kamavinka they only made actually Deschamps only made two substitutions today, but uh, we should talk about his substitutions because, boy, were they effective. Mm-hmm. Um, made it what we thought was an interesting choice at the time. Took off Giroud in the 65th minute. Um, and Brought on it, so, it sort of made sense because, you know, they were, as we said, at that point, they were really pushed back. They were, their block was really deep in their own half. And I think the logic being there, just to have another, like, pacey combo sort of forward alongside Mbappe to 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 quickly counter out of those situations and 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 gain territory. She saw Mbappe do a bunch of times. He just goes on like a 30-yard run up the flank and all of a sudden there the pressure is relieved mm-hmm. in the attack. Um and I would say I didn't expect that precise substitution, but it worked really well. Duran was kind of all over the place on the left as Mbappe slid central. Yeah, I mean right after he came on, he had a great run that almost led to a France shot. Yeah. Uh, defensively, I think Tehran's impact was mm-hmm. and tracks back, yeah, yeah, and have a next another body back in in defense, even though he's not a world class defensive winger mm-hmm. or it's not like his tackles were what stopped any Morocco goal opportunities, but just having a, another body there, I think, was really important mm-hmm. for player fact. France ready? As well. Yeah, Marcus Tehran won the most duels in the match with eight, and he came on in the 65th minute. Wow, how about that? That's pretty impressive. Good That's a him. lot of duels. So many duels. He got involved in so many. <laughs> so many duels. Yeah. So wow. um I don't know how much of that is coincidence and how much of that uh like reiterates that the point. But yeah, I think uh that ended up being a pretty clever substitution. Um he then brought on Kolo Muani for Mbele, yeah. who didn't scored see that with either. his first touch. His first touch of the game. That was like you gotta say as a striker, you know, 
he did well to be in the right place at the right time. But the yeah. second goal finally comes um, from basically Kylian Mbappe's brilliance. He uh, he tried kind of a fantastic turn just outside the box, mm-hmm. lays it off to his left, receives back, sort of what, what's the what's the hockey term? Deeks. Oh yeah, he, yeah, he, he does a hockey deke. He deeks around like three different. Moroccan players um in the tightest of windows mm-hmm. and then fires gets a shot off saved by Bonu and falls it was, a, it was just a deflection no oh, it was a deflection yeah oh sorry yeah falls right into the path of Moani very unfortunate for the Moroccans but um yeah hard to say the French the French weren't good for two goals today but I think holding the Moroccan scoreless is maybe a little harsh on harsh on the African side yeah I thought they were I thought especially from like the 35th minute on I was really impressed what they were what they were able to offer. You know, we have they averaged before this game 30, 31% possession in the World Cup. So to see them, we haven't really seen them in this role where they have to be come back from behind and be expansive. And they proved they can do it. They're not just a one-trick pony. They're really a pretty talented, uh, tactically adept, really good team. Like they could have in another, I don't know if you would say like more times than not, they get a result in this game, but you could definitely say that a couple of times out of 10 they they could get a result here maybe yeah, they were two, definitely maybe in, three they were definitely in the three game. times out of 10 <laughs> two times out of 10 um they were in the game for yeah sure so they i think they, they, just, they basically they like proved i think there's some skepticism whenever a team like doesn't have the ball very much they're like and you know they don't have start a ton of star players which they they kind of do yeah. for a for a team for a nation of their size they do for but, a team that nobody gave any opportunity to at the right. start of the world cup which was I think there's kind like weird in hindsight. Yeah. I because... think there's suspicion though, that it's like, Oh, they're just like sitting back and doing like old school Jose ball, mm-hmm. but they really have a lot of quality and, and, and it's, it's, you know, it's stupid to say like uh best African side we've ever seen. Cause of course, like they went the furthest, but like truly they, they could have made the final and actually belonged there, which is like pretty remarkable, I think. Mm-hmm. And yeah. not to be, understated it is interesting too like they have some stars on the team right but mm-hmm. it, it's not like those i mean i guess amarbat's probably the third most recognizable player or definitely at this point <laughs> well i mean before the tournament or oh, at least like mm. Saiz might be more recognizable because he plays in the premier league but egger too i think most people if you were ranking players and, and like nesri Amrabat you know plays for yeah. sevilla but i feel like amarbat probably would like third on the rankings yeah. if, no i think i think Maserawi. Oh, been. I totally just forgot about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. But it was guys like Amrabat, Unahi, mm-hmm. Bufal still, who I thought made the oh, biggest. Yeah. Oh, no. Or well. Amrabat has gotten a ton of credit, rightfully so. Unahi. Unahi needs nearly as nearly credit, nearly as good, right? Yeah. Um, Definitely. Yeah. I, really impressed with what they were able to do. And their yeah. big part, the midfield was a huge part. Um, I was just listening to some podcasts about this the other day, so I don't want to take full credit. Mostly yeah. athletic Tifo uh, podcasts, respectively. Um, how... Morocco use their eights in pressing situations. Like instead of having wingers or forwards like chase um at, at the at the top of the press mm-hmm. um in the midfield, the, the eights sort of expand and shut down that middle spaces. And that's what that's the thing that really did in Portugal because they weren't really able to adapt and figure out a way around that. Um so yeah, so clever, clever pressing strategies, um just really tactically impressive team. Um, you know, Vergragi, I feel like I'm saying that wrong. You probably are, but Vergragi, 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 
Regragi. It feels like I'm saying it wrong, but that's how it's spelled. So mm-hmm. Regragi has uh only took over, what was it, in September or something with this team, August? Like, it was only a couple months before. You'd only played, like, three or four friendlies before the start of the tournament. So you have to think after the success he'll stay on, especially because he seems to have built kind of a ridiculous, like, unprecedented relationship with the players and fans in that amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but – you do wonder, he was talking at points in the tournament to the press about how people of, you know, African and Arab descent don't have, aren't awarded, you know, equal opportunity in, in European leagues to to coach at the mm-hmm. club level. So you wonder um, at what point, like, somebody comes calling for him now and, like, what level that will be at. Because um, sometimes it's weird how international and club translates, but mm-hmm. uh, you have to think, you know, he's won the, the African Champions League. Yeah, and the other interesting thing so is like he's not is, like this is a one-off. He's French too. He was born in France. Yeah. He played in France almost his entire career. Uh, he did spend a little time in uh, I don't know where this club is from, Maghreb Atletico Tetuan. They're in Morocco. Okay. Oh, really? that kind of sounds Mexican. Yeah. Tetuan kind of sounds like an Aztec word. I know. I was like, <laughs> I I wanted to say Moroccan, but I also didn't want to be racist and assume the only club outside of France he played for was from Morocco, but. Yeah, but then his oh, coaching career is all Arab clubs, and he's not mm-hmm. – he's never been a coach at any – Yeah, it's precisely what he was talking about in that uh, to the media like a week ago or so. Yeah. You um, have to assume if you're a team in France that's maybe in like the lower mid-table or fighting relegation and you don't like where things are going, he's got – He's already yeah, got a bunch of Angers players. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you have to imagine that – he could get an offer from a club like that. Oh, Nahi too. Only, uh, only twenty-two. Mm-hmm. You have to think that somebody's going to be calling his name pretty soon. Oh yeah. Um, you know, it's I'm not. I've been getting all the links, but I think Onahi might yeah. be the better investment because he's going to be cheaper. Mm-hmm. He's younger, and, and he's from the French league, which is fun. Yeah, but and Amrabat is like on a long contract. He's made uh-huh. comments about him not really wanting to move. So and it's a little I feel like you'd actually too, kind of yeah. blow him away with an offer mm-hmm. in a way you wouldn't with Unahi, who as a younger player, might be more willing to move on to the next club. You know they want to sell. Down. Yeah. You know Angier wants to sell. Yes. Or like... Yeah, and Fiorentina are fighting for to try to get into European places. And Yeah. I am also going back and looking at our previews because mm-hmm. I wanted to see what we thought they would do. You had them getting out of the group. Yeah, I did. But we're much more critical of them in your little preview was than that? I was. But I had them going I, out. I thought on... they were going to be a little more defensive than that. I mean, they were defensive, but I what I didn't what I didn't expect was like the dynamism mm-hmm. in their in their in their mid block pressing and counters i just that and i thought they would be more like you know a lame version of france which is yeah. like you don't some you don't look like you're trying that hard and then you have mbappe or whatever you were very critical of their midfield in particular <laughs> yeah whereas i was like i think i i have i know but just a serious sucker uh, it's a serious sucker but we've also seen him in the conference league uh, he's been great but I put him as like a key to the the only good team, though. You know, only played one good team Um, in the conference. And then we both pointed out Saïs and Aguirre, who had great tournaments as well. Until they both went out. But what one thing I also want to point out about, yeah, I actually in my bracket, I almost picked them over Spain, and then and then I chickened out at the last second. Fucking shit, dummy. But I had them going out on goal difference. You had them going Uh through on goal difference as well. Nice, nice. Uh, I would have gotten that group exactly right. I had Belgium going through top. If Belgium had beaten if Belgium, if, if if Lukaku hadn't had that horror show in the second yeah. half, I would have been absolutely right. Yeah. We both and Croatia, we didn't, isn't that crazy how close Croatia was to mm-hmm. not even making it out of the group? Yeah. Well, anyway, we'll get to that. But I, one more thing I wanted to say, say about Morocco is 
it, it's like an annoying uh american football sounding cliche but the next man up isms mm-hmm. of, of this team was really impressive as we said they keep lo- they kept losing players guys like yamik one guy i was really impressed with with was uh um what's his name atiatala ati atiatala atiatala yeah yeah i don't remember how they pronounce it on the broadcast but it, um he but- yeah he uh he's a left back he plays for We Dad Casablanca, Why Dad Casablanca, who are one of the best teams in Africa mm-hmm. and have been for a while, but clearly not on our radar. Yeah. So, uh, but when Mazraoui wasn't fit in that Portugal game, I was particularly impressed with him. He was like hounding on defense, and really, really good tournament from him. I think, I think in reserve, mm-hmm. and that was sort of a thing we saw a lot from the, from this team. You know, Amala coming off the bench. Um, yeah, there was just a. Just a lot of impressive shit. So credit all around for the Moroccans. We didn't even talk about France that much, but who cares about yeah. France? Well, before we go, we should end because we only mentioned Teo when it came to the goal and mm-hmm. when Morocco tried to attack him. Wait, wait, let me preface this. And now for your Milan minute. I mean, Teo was, I think, clearly the player of the game. But he won. He, he had the he winning was, goal. He was the player. Of the he game. had the winning goal. Yeah, he had the winning <laughs> goal. I mean, the ability to attack that France never really had before from that that back line when Lucas Hernandez was in there he makes a huge difference and he makes a game fun to watch for France which is very weird like rare for the French team who don't really do a lot of exciting things despite having I mean they're fun whenever they get on the ball they're fun yeah (laughs) but he kind of he allows them to get on the ball a lot more easily I just yeah feel like we kind of skipped over how good a game he had and the fact that he is the best left back in the world. <laughs> there you go. You heard it here. I don't know. Seventh from David. <laughs> yeah. I say uh, a lot, but it's pretty ironic uh, that France's backup left back is arguably the best in the world. Yeah. Well, it's that's pretty the impressive. for you. That's the champ for you. France for you. The champ. I wish you'd play more expensive stuff. Their but backup, their backup goal. How can we receive Ballon d'Or votes? How can like, we complain? That's how good this French team is. How can we? Yeah, I just wish. I just wish like ten percent more from the French team. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, just a little bit more exciting. Like from like, the from the almost from the close to being back to back world champions. Like I would just prefer if they weren't pinned down by Morocco for thirty straight minutes. In terms of as a neutral watching the game, yeah, right. Yeah, I just want a little more. Like and it works, and that's it's annoying that it keeps working. But I'm like with the players they have, like, I mean, come on, you can have more than 39% of the ball against Morocco. Yeah. As good as they are. But let's go to the other semifinal where Argentina defeated Croatia three to nil. Goals from Messi and Alvarez, Julian Alvarez on the double. Two assists from Messi on those Alvarez goals as well. Mm-hmm. Two of them were on one one goal and the other one was unassisted. Yeah. That's how that works. Um, and this game got off to, I want to say about the start we expected, which was a little bit sluggish and conservative. Um, it looked like the kind of game you'd expect from these teams to play to get, that would go deep into extra time. But then all of a sudden all hell broke loose because in the, just after the 30 minute mark, a couple minutes in, um, there's a long ball chipped over the top of the creation defense to Julian Alvarez, who had split Lovren and Gavardial, who'd been such stalwarts this tournament so far. Alvarez gets on the end of it. He gets a bit of a touch of it as Lavakovic sort of runs out his line, off his line, but the keeper impedes him. Um, and even though Alvarez got a touch to it, the penalty is called. 
and Lobakovich receives it yellow. Now, this was an in, on, when I watched this live, the commentators are like, "Yeah, that's a penalty," and every I thought, "Oh yeah, that's a penalty." And then you know I start perusing Twitter later in the game and find out in England, they really didn't think <laughs> their it was punditry a really didn't think it was a penalty, and they were horrified that was given. Like well, I, I obviously had, and to it also it, people just want to peddle this narrative that Argentina is like being like fed the title or something like which is ridiculous. I think that's why they think it's not a penalty. How is it I mean, not a penalty? I can in what under, world is it not a penalty? I can kind of understand Explain. if you think it might be a foul on Alvarez because you're like, oh, he intentionally plays the ball to a place he can't get to it so that he can run into the keeper. But that you're reaching if you're making that argument, right? It's not. I don't think it's a very good faith argument. No. I thought it was pretty, yeah. On the, I think it's a clear penalty. Yeah, on the field, I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, because Lovakovic doesn't get any ball. The ball's no. tipped past him. Alvarez can run in behind and tap in. I don't know. I thought it was the right call. Messi buries it high, top corner. Yeah. Brilliant. He's been great at penalties this tournament. He's been so good at penalties. Uh, this is just a weird goal because the Croatian center backs didn't be, seem prepared for the, for the Alvarez run. Like, Gavardio sort of watches as if he expects Lovren to pick him up. And I think Lovren is supposed to pick him up. I think Lovren. But he misjudges it. He gets himself all turned around. Mm-hmm. It was just a really odd moment in a game where it's like Croatia doesn't want to have a crazy high line and do shit like that. And they just got caught out kind of from nothing. Mm-hmm. And it was a pretty simple move that you think should have been uh for how good these how good they've been in defense that they that they could they could handle that. But it's one nil. And then 39th minute, it's Julian Alvarez again. An- another really strange one. This from comes from a Croatian corner. The ball is headed out to Messi. He gets a tasty little flick on it to Alvarez around midfield as Messi gets pulled back. Um, referee plays advantage. Alvarez runs straight at the Croatian defense. He gets a run ahead of him and uh, a runner in ahead of him and to his left, but he kind of wrongfully decides to keep it himself. I think it would have been like the logical decision to put that out left, but and it looks like he's made that mistake because he ends up running into a wall of Croats, um, and the ball somehow like bounces off a defender onto him right back into his path, um, and then Sosa, who was the last one back for Croatia, takes like a wild and awkward, uh, very unfortunate looking swing at it. Um, He's sort of falling backwards, like his like it looks like his balance has been thrown off, and that's why he misses it. But like you'd think a little more composure, and he get and he gets any clearance on that, and they're out of they're out of trouble. But instead, it falls back to Alvarez, and he's suddenly one on one with Lavakovic and taps home for two 0 This is a really strange goal. Did you say that Messi got an assist for this one? Uh. You said Messi had two assists, right? Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he didn't. No, no, yeah, you're right. He might not have. So I was going to say, that feels like that should not be an assist. No, no just one assist. I'm okay. sorry. I miss it. Yeah. No, no, no. That wasn't an assist. Okay. I misspoke. So I was going to say, the way it just kind of, it's such a weird goal, the way it just bounces around. Yeah. The it would defenders. never play out like Alvarez that again. Twice. Yeah. It would never play out like that again. So on one so hand. We should, we should credit Alvarez yeah. for sticking with the Persistence, play. Yeah. Fighting through, and you know, it's a really good finish at the end too. Just it a is a little tap to get it past Lubakovic. I think they yeah. I think there are the two ways to look at it is yeah that for the Croatian perspective is that it's like a quite possibly like a total fluke and like very unlucky, and that that goal would like probably never happen the same way again, play out the same way. And but also like how 
they look totally perplexed, just like lashing out at it, like limbs flailing. Mm-hmm. Um, where is like the poise and the calm and the resolve that we've seen from them so far in this tournament? They just totally like lost it for 10 minutes here in this in the second half, yeah. but it cost them the game. Like, and also coming from an attacking corner, like uh, you know, nobody's nobody's taking care of Messi on the first on the first ball out of the box that that arrives to him. It just all felt like very strangely non-tactful and naive from them in a way that I can't say I've seen in the last two tournaments. And you'd expect a team that has been to a World Cup final last tournament, right? Like all, most of these players have gone deep in a tournament before. They should know what to expect in this round. They shouldn't be caught being naive. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's weird, right? Yeah. And uh, my friend, one of my friends texted me that it looked like a FIFA goal. (laughs) The That's a fun thing. But anyway, it's 2-0. Um, it was almost three nil in the 42nd minute because Alexis McAllister has a point blank header off a corner from like six yards out. And it's a brilliant save from Lavakovic and keeps them in the game. Um, great reflex save. And, you know, at halftime, you're wondering if, if Croatia is totally done in because they, it was again, like the first 25 minutes, you wouldn't say Argentina were on top of them at all. There was few chances. Croatia had more of the ball as you'd expect. Um, but then, you know, they have to come out and make things a little interesting in the second half. Um, Brozovic comes off early, yeah. which you have to wonder if, is it a fitness you thing. See, you could see him nursing the yeah. the quad. I think it was the quad. might have been the hamstring. But mm. he had a ton of ice on it, too, on the sidelines. So I think yeah. that was an injury for him. Brozovic comes out right after half. Um, they So they bring on, instead of him, uh, another midfielder, they bring on Orsic. They throw two strikers up there. They go more like a 4-4-2 than their traditional 4-3-3. Well, they made three subs at half. Yeah, Vlasic right. comes off in the midfield. Vlasic came off. Came on, Kozilic. I'm sorry. Petkovic came on. Yeah. And Sosa also came off. So, yeah. total change in formation yeah. for them. Did they go um, the back three with 4-4-2? I think it had to be. I don't know what they did. I can't remember. Sosa was playing, was technically listed. He's a left, left back, back, yeah. Um, Pazilic was... Up in the front three. In front three, yeah. And then Petkovic came on, so he's a striker. But I guess yeah. he's maybe so. Vlasic well, they brought Levaya on too. Yeah. In the seventy second. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, so they bring a bunch of uh, attackers, try to mix things up. Um, we'll say there's there's like a little decent period where they where they're playing a little more. Um, uh, you know, they started instead of like in the midfield, they started focusing a little more on the wings. Mm-hmm. Um. Eventually, Scaloni counters this by switching to a back three slash five. Yeah. Instead of the four four two, they started the game with. I'm gonna talk about their formation a little bit. Okay, um, go for it. Messi has another little good chance to make it three nil in the fifty eighth. Um, he ends up with a with a shot from close range. Another save from Lavakovic. The third goal comes from um, just a classic, vintage, beautiful Messi goal. Uh, goal creation. Um, which really evokes his like super long prime at Barcelona when, yeah. but he, but like the younger version of him where he was more reliant on, he was always has the technical prowess, but he was more reliant on sort of his physical tools, like his quickness and, mm-hmm. um, and evading challenges. So basically Messi is challenged by Gavardio on the right side. There's no Argentine support in sight far away from the goal. Messi takes him all the way down the right flank to just beyond the box he pauses and goes a little further towards the edge of the box. And he turns back as if, you know, nobody's out there to help him. He turns back as if he's going to play back into support, retain possession up 2-0. Um, but 
poor Gavardiol falls for it. And Messi does him in with a 180 degree turn mm-hmm. back towards the baseline, leaves the poor guy in his wake. Gavardiol tries to pressure him on the inline, but Messi coolly picks out Julian Alvarez in the box, who taps home for 3 0. It was prime vintage. It was it was Omaha Stakes of Mets. Okay. <laughs> it was brilliant. And you have to feel a little bit for poor Gavardiol here, who's had a tournament of his life. His stock has risen a ton, as has his transfer value. Yes. Um, nothing but good things to say about him, but man, did he get done here. Yeah. We'll say there's no shame in it. It happens to the best of us. Looking at you, Boateng. Yeah, everybody gets done by Messi. Everyone gets done by Messi, but it's, it's a, a tough time to do it. It's a rite it, of passage for a second. It is, it is, especially at his age. Um, yeah. And we should mention we did list Vardial, at least I did, I because you were trying not to pick any of the same players. Mm-hmm. You, We picked Vardial on the break. We did. We liked Vardial to have a good so, tournament. Yeah, That's a good pat on the back right there. Yeah. We know what we're talking about. Uh, McAllister almost made it 4-0. Um, he had a second good chance of the game. Um, meanwhile, Croatia pushed for any consolation, but couldn't manage too much that was direct mm-hmm. on target, um, which shows up in their XG here. They only managed 0.52 XG, yeah. despite 12 shots. Um, Argentina finishes with 2.34 XG. Uh, obviously, the penalty is included in that, but very efficient on only nine shots, seven of which are on target. Mm-hmm. Um, the penalty, we should also mention, came from a very high probability chance too i don't yes, think that, this isn't like the england game where the penalties yeah. came from low opportunity chances and you know inflated the xg in that way this one the xg yeah. of that was probably would have been pretty high if yeah. you managed to not if you if you just look at basic stats here like shots and possession you know argentina had 39 percent of the ball you wouldn't think three nil was a fair score line but that's why we have advanced stats now and why we watch the game because yeah. argentina was honestly pretty dominant. Um, That's where they played on a field and not on paper. Yeah. Oh, Croatia was never really in for a shout. Mm-hmm. Um, after Alvarez slipped in for that first, for that first penalty draw, um, it was really clinical from Argentina, and I think pretty pretty impressive. Probably their most impressive performance of the tournament so far. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Messi first. Messi, Messi. Let's Messi. talk about Messi. How good was Messi? Pretty good. How good is he? Probably. How the, good was he? Probably today? the best player. How good of all was he time? yesterday? He was, he was the, very good yesterday. He was so good yesterday. He looked like the Messi of old. He did, but he's actually just old now. And I will say, yeah, he was impossible to dispossess. He did more running off the ball than I've seen in a while. Like maybe what Van Gaal said inspired him. I don't know why he got so mad about Van Gaal saying before he doesn't run off the ball because he doesn't. Yeah, he wasn't a lie. Yeah, it wasn't a lie. Yeah, uh, but he was not today. Mm-hmm. Um. But I think this is a good callback to a conversation we had in our previews, um, which is about a strike partner for Messi. Oh, before we move on, there actually are yeah. a couple Messi-related conversations. Oh, boy. That have been going around. That goat! Goat! we should talk about. Because, I mean, he is the goat, if we're going to use that terminology. Let's not, though. Yeah, it's just, it feels it's for, weird. It's for children. It feels like a basketball thing in yeah. America. Like, I just don't like any goat conversation. Yeah. It's annoying. I, if it wasn't attached to Tom Brady, I'd probably like it a lot more. But <laughs> I just really hate Tom Brady. Jordan over Brady. Any but day. The, exactly. The Messi-Ronaldo debate, which never should really have been a debate. Messi's mm-hmm. a better player. No, it's over and, now, isn't it? Yeah. But I just, the direct comparisons to them at this tournament, yeah, it's so weird because Ronaldo's over two years older. Yeah, yeah, like, that's the thing. Yeah, like as much as I detest Ronaldo yeah. and everything he stands for, I think comparing him directly to Messi is, is ludicrous. Yeah. Yeah, as you say, he's two and a half years older. Um, like 
that's that's it basically yeah it's like they're messy in two and a half years they're on different yeah they could, could still be doing this. yeah he might still they be. play we different roles now like they're just yeah. not it's just you, they're not but really two years ago compatible was still, still pretty good player he's mm-hmm. the best player on a team that was fighting he would definitely have still been starting for yeah. portugal yeah um um, yeah, I agree. That's a ridiculous. Yeah. The other one's the Maradona 86 comparisons, which mm-hmm. I think are fun because the, the you know, Maradona the second Messi, coming. Yeah. It's just, it's a fun Except without all the drugs that we and know. the well, underage women. The HCH thing. The HCH thing. Yeah. But that was legal. He was allowed to do that because he was going to. Less be... mafia stuff. Yeah. Not no, not necessarily no, no but yeah. less. Well, tax mafia. Tax mafia. Tax, hashtag tax mafia. But I just think it's such a weird comparison because it's all related around criticizing the rest of the 86 team when it's like, it's just because they were still playing in Argentina in the 80s. Like, mm-hmm. it's just because not every South American moved to Europe. That's why we think that they were bad players. But yeah, I, I don't have anything to say about that. Yeah. I don't know. But I don't know the 86 team be, well enough, but it's also weird to compare like peak Maradona. He was what, mm-hmm. like 24 that World Cup to a 35 year old Messi. Mm-hmm. I think it kind of shows how good Messi is that he can still. Yeah. Garner comparisons to the other players mm-hmm. who are in that upper echelon, but when they were at their peak, and yeah. it's him at 35. Also, uh, this is now sec- Messi's second World Cup final with Argentina, two and three tournaments. Mm-hmm. Um, and Maradona only made it to two World Cup finals. Yeah, to be so. fair, I don't think Maradona stuck around as long as no, uh, no, he didn't. He did so. it, but you know, yeah, he stuck around to coach them in 2010. Yeah, um. Yeah, but let's talk about the strike partner because this is something that we discussed again for the tournament. Uh, is Lotaro finally the guy that's going to be clutch in key moments, that's going to bury chances? Um, as many of his you know, forefathers did. Mm-hmm. Kun Aguero, brilliant player, never quite happened with Argentina. Yeah, uh, Gonzalo Higuain. Terrific player. Probably the best striker in the world for a couple of years. Same with Kuhn. Yeah. And then they would put on the Argentina kid. And they... Never quite happened. It's not like they were bad, but it was more like in the key yeah. moments. That I mean, Aguero's The dad. famous one is Iguain in the 2014 final where he had like a huge, huge big chance in the first half against Germany. And he got it so wrong. Yeah. And mean, that will always be sort of the defining. Argentina, I think mm-hmm. kind of reflect like, oh, it was just a clutch thing for him. Like mm-hmm. he could not. Aguero's stats for Argentina are not very good compared to yeah. what you would expect from Aguero. It's strange. And so we're thinking Lautaro, obvious choice, like maybe not in his like prime form for Inter coming into the tournament, but still a really good player yeah. and had a couple of really, you know, some excellent seasons. Um, but it's not been Lautaro. Lautaro lost his spot and been replaced with Julian Alvarez, mm. especially as Argentina have gone for more of like three, five, two, uh, four four two type formations rather than a front three, which makes sense because you know they don't have any wingers unless Dabala is fit. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about Dabala too, but uh, so yeah, it's been it's been the running conversation. Is Julian Alvarez finally that man for Argentina? Oh, dude, the twenty two year old. He had two goals today, four in this tournament, assisted one of them assisted by Messi. He wasn't even expected to start, but no, it's been Alvarez. It's been very impressive for him. Um, he. There's just something about him where he just I don't like, want to put this thought out alongside into the world, so I'm yeah. going to. But he's gonna it, blow it. Wouldn't yeah. it be the most Argentina thing of all time if Alvarez has this great tournament yeah. and misses a tap in to like, <laughs> yeah, win a tie yeah. game? <laughs> I do think I do think it's a narrative worth noting going into the final. Um, because he will start and he'll be in that position. It'd be interesting to see if how 
how he performs in the final. The weird thing is, though, like, you want to say, oh, it's because of Alvarez's play style that he works well with Messi and with the rest of the team. And I think that's true to an extent because I think he's a good runner. He's a good run. He's a really good runner without the yeah. ball. And Lautaro wants to have the ball. And he's just been trained by, you know, Pep for a, yeah. for us. I mean, it's like a semester of Pep. So yeah, to play in a similar role to like what Holland does, where you don't get a lot of touches, but you yeah. get the conversions and you mm-hmm. focus a lot on converting chances. Whereas Lautaro is a lot more involved in the whole creative setup of Inter. He likes to get the ball and run at the defense. He likes to play one twos with, Usually, I mean, he wanted to be Lukaku, but it's not Lukaku. Mm-hmm. But I do think that maybe there's a play style difference. But then Messi, when he had Higuain and Aguero and Tevez, those were guys who were much more in the Alvarez role. And yeah. it didn't quite work for them in the big moments. So it is, it's really exciting to see Alvarez step up to, like, to be a guy who's mostly been on the bench mm-hmm. and come in for arguably the best team in the world and star striker for them. Yeah. Pretty impressive. He's making a, Argentine fans not miss Lotauer or Di Maria out there yeah. or Dybala. I'm who, sure they were just so heartbroken he, that Di Maria did not yeah. play. We saw – Di Maria always come, seems to like – he has something different when he plays for in, yeah. in that kit, though. But Dybala, we had a Dybala sighting mm-hmm. briefly. That was fun. He, uh, it, If he is fit to play like 30, 40, 30 minutes or so in the final, it could be if it's going the distance – it could be just a nice um, change of pace for how how the attacking line is going. Since again, like we said, they don't really have wingers other than him and Di Maria. Yeah, I mean, you could put Julian Alvarez was start like has played left wing for Argentina before, so you could mm-hmm. put him. You could put him there. Dabala. They like Papu Gomez somehow. They still like yeah, Papu like, Gomez. He, he started against. I want to say, was it? Did he start against the Dutch or was that against Australia? I think it was against Australia. Yeah, one of those games he started and like came off at halftime. So yeah. I don't think I don't think anyone thinks Papu should be starting. But no, I mean he shouldn't um, be starting. But it's this is when I want to give this is when I want to give Scaloni some credit actually for being uh kind of wise tactically and more tactically variable than I think their crosstown rivals, the Brazilians, were. Mm-hmm. Um uh and in combating like clear strength of the Croatian team, which is the midfield. Yeah. Arguably the best set of three midfielders in the world um at this point in time. And Modric at the age of 37 is somehow still a wizard. Yeah. I mean we're talking about Messi, but my God. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> what a tournament he's had. What a tournament he's had. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. it's it's wild that the, that he that he's still performing at this level and that you know Rakitic retires internationally and they're like, well Kovic is just pretty good. Yeah, Kovacic. Kovacic, yeah. is American commentators like to say, uh, just one. What, what's his name? The I one who's not still holding. Remember, yeah. Whatever. It's, not used to. Uh, but to. yeah. So Please plug our pods. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think, well, the narrative in the Croatia Brazil game was, I think, a lot of that Brazil's should have won this. How did they not win this? And I think that's fair because they had clearly the better chances. And, um, but I think. The reason that went as deep into extra time as it did was because Brazil weren't they weren't reactive enough against or proactive enough against what the what the Croatians wanted to do. And they just sort of and I think the possession that was kind of 50-50, they sort of let Croatia just pass around whatever they wanted and like have the space deep in the midfield to sort of orchestrate. And while it didn't result in a lot of clear-cut chances for them, they did control the pace of the game, which meant you know, the more time they control the pace, the less time Brazil can do fun stuff yeah. and use their great players. And I think it ended up with 
it just they just ended up running out of time there because one tactical mistake from Brazil after they're up 1-0 in extra time, they turned the ball over and all of a sudden they've conceded yeah. and they're going to penalties. So I, I just don't think they I don't think they adjusted to uh, what they need to do to sort of stop the Modric and co doing what they need to do in the center of the pitch and and relied too much on their players giving them individual moments, which they did with the in the Neymar goal, which was fabulous goal. But um, yeah, I think I think Brazil will have let themselves down there, and th- and then Argentina showed exactly how you maybe should want to combat that. Um, they started with a four four two, but and it wasn't like a you know like Beckham wasn't out on the right flank. They had four midfielders out there. Yes, McAllister was on the left, and then they had uh, Paredes in the middle with Enzo, who's been a breakout star. Also was on our midfield. breakout stars list. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um and uh, what's his name? DePaul. DePaul started on the right. So basically, with and DePaul, especially, DePaul has played winger before, yeah. so he's very capable of stepping out there. But, but with DePaul and Paredes in particular, you have two like absolute dogs out there. Yeah. And with McAllister, another guy who plays six for his club team a lot of the time. So they have guys who can fucking get after it and tackle. And when I first saw that lineup, my first reaction was, like, "Oh, that's like, are they gonna be able to like pass? Like, <laughs> it's like." Are they going to be able to combine? Um, it seemed almost too negative, but I think I was wrong because what instead they did is just really jam up um, Croatia progression, progressing the ball into deeper phases um, and turning them over a lot, shockingly, in the middle of the pitch and ending up with some with some counters, um, one of which resulted in, you know, their second goal um, from, a, from a, you know, turnover after a corner. So... Um, I have to give Scaloni some credit there, I think. And then again, um, even though, again, the broad, American broadcasters were like, why would they change to a back five? It's going so well. Yeah. And I'm like, they're just adjusting to just adjusting to what Croatia yeah. was doing, which is throwing more people on the wing makes yeah. sense to bring it. I just think like, even though we've seen them blow a two-goal lead against the Dutch and almost blow a two-goal lead against Australia, having shifted into that back three formation to see out the game, I think the Dutch one can be chalked off enough to a fluke mm-hmm. where I wouldn't be that concerned yeah. about it, but I, it's something to look out for that, you know, they've had a couple of leads look like slipping away, but yeah. Um, we should also note that they took off Paredes. So it's a bit of a safety concern mm-hmm. that Paredes could get a red card at any time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's part of the game plan. So yeah. that's interesting though. I wonder, so we know how France is going to play in the final. Mm-hmm. They're going to play four, two, three, one. Yeah, we know the formation they'll use. I think they could do different things within that. Yeah, no, I mean, especially but we know how they're going to line up. Yeah, especially assuming they're all healthy. If Rabio, Rabio, you know, we know exactly what they're going to do. Yeah. The question is, how does Argentina line up opposite them? Mm-hmm. I'm curious to find out. Yeah. Um, do they stick with something that will disrupt them in the midfield, or do they probably go with a back three to combat the wing play a little more? Yeah, well, especially because their center backs will have a tough time keeping up with guys like Mbappe and potentially Taram Dembele, who are all just so speedy. Mm-hmm. We've talked about how, you know, Molina can get around the field. Obviously, he's not he's not short of athleticism, but mm-hmm. he is not the fastest right back in the world. Taliafico isn't particularly speedy as well. Otamendi's pretty slow. <laughs> well, they better not play Otamendi and wing back. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, like, saying some of the defenders yeah. that started in this back. Juan Foyth? Entering yeah. the fold. It's just a Pond Foyth. 
it would definitely raise some concerns about yeah. your ability to counteract the speed that France have up top and their ability to counter yeah. so quickly and so effectively. That's why it's, my guess is that they don't, is that they match up and they, they go into a back three, five, so they can have protection. Like Romero will like basically be there to double Mbappe whenever Molina gets, you know, dribbled, dribbled on. Yeah. You have to think Romero, Romero will be there just to try to shuttle that out. Mm-hmm. And that means you can also start, you know, Lissandro. He's a little short. <laughs> he, he can't defend Giroud, dude. He's too short. Yeah. I but do, I think I do genuinely question but, how they'll be able to defend Giroud. Yeah, like with that, but with that many good attackers, it only it also it also makes sense that they would have you know if Lissandro was like too good, I think, to be on the bench in the final. Um, yeah, but who do you bench for? You'd have to take out a midfielder. Yeah, but do you bench? I mean, McAllister been really good. They, they bench. That's what they've been doing, yeah. and it's McAllister, Enzo. Yeah, Enzo's um, been. Been great. So it was yeah, McCall. and DePaul form that form the three, and that's that's Paredes was the one who came in on the other day. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, that's. Uh, do you have any thoughts on the final or on Argentina Croatia? I have no more thoughts on Argentina Croatia. I've given the game enough thought. <laughs> I believe. <laughs> we should talk a little bit about France and Argentina. And give some some preview, some predictions, yeah. even. I haven't even like had a second to yeah, no, my head first so react, live reaction. Go, go, go. Okay. Go. So I think first reaction, I pretty sure I picked Argentina pre-tournament. I don't remember. I did too. I don't remember which one. Well, I know the podcast. No, 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 I picked pick. Argentina and then you were like, I don't want to pick the same. Yeah, so, so I don't I know if you Bra- stuck with that. I switched to Brazil. Yeah, yeah. But you I meant Argentina. Argentina. I have Argentina on my Fox Sports fantasy one. Um, Who do you have in the final against Argentina? I think I had. I think it was Portugal. I think it was Portugal. You know who I had? Who'd you have? Denmark. Denmark. <laughs> <laughs> I meant France. Yeah. I meant I had, France. I had France on the same side of the bracket. As, yeah, me too. Um, I had Argentina beating France in the round of 16. Mm-hmm. In the rematch of the round of 16. Yeah. So, yeah. I, mean, um, I had the same thing as you did there. What's um, interesting about... uh One interesting thing, I think, is, you know, the, the 2018 round of 16 where France won um 3-2, but it didn't feel... Or it was four three actually. Excuse me, it was four three wild game, but and but France like totally deserved to win and kind of boss Argentina around. That was a really weird in tweener Argentine team with like a pretty. If Messi had dragged that team to the World Cup final, like, <laughs> I just felt like there, there was a lot of like sort of awkward non cohesion going on, um, and they were pretty clear. You know, they almost got knocked out at the group stage. A pretty weak team. Um, and and France, meanwhile, while some of the individual personnel have changed, I think a lot has remained the same. Mm-hmm. And the Argentines completely re- refreshed and revamped with a lot of these young players like Alvarez and Fernandez and McAllister, yeah. um, Romero, Martinez, like all of these guys, um, Molina. So um, I don't even know if you could take too much from that that previous encounter. I wouldn't. Yeah, it's um, like a totally different thing. Yeah. So let's see. Is that content? Did I do content? I think you did content. Sweet. Had, oh, you yeah, had Denmark I, in the semis. Okay, that makes me feel better. Yeah, to be fair, I had yeah. Denmark. We United both, States. We're, we're both yeah. high on Denmark. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, cycled out too. too I think if Portugal, I think Portugal still could have made the final if they beat Morocco. I think they had a decent chance against France. Yeah. But no, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't. Yeah, have. I also had France in my round. I wouldn't have favored them. Uh, and then unfortunately, we didn't get the Argentina Brazil game that we both really wanted mm-hmm. but you can't always get what you want can't get what you want which you know france are 
second team or first team since 2002 to make back-to-back finals. Yeah. Yeah, that was Brazil. First European team since 1990 when Germany also played Argentina twice mm. in their final. So yeah, that now that, that surely is the last time that the same final. Yes. When I was thinking about if Croatia had gone through, you know, I'm pretty sure you made me look this up at some point. Yeah, it's yeah. The only that sounds right. That's the only right. time a final has been repeated. Argentina just kind of feel like a team of destiny. Like I don't like using that term, and I don't like not giving it real thought about like tactics and the players and the way they match up. But with Messi in his last World Cup, and I hope that's true. I want that to be true. But France is such a like ruthless machine. Mm-hmm. of really efficiency are. that it's it's if anyone's going to do them in it's going to be france mm-hmm. so it does does in a way seem like the inevitable final yeah. um one thing you know they they tell you about about writing and and storytelling david mm-hmm. is that you want your ending to be to feel both inevitable and surprising i think this definitely feels inevitable but what will surprise us come what sunday the, morning what the eastern time have in twist yeah, what are, what's the twist what's, that we're waiting what do they for? Have up their I'm waiting for a twist. Yeah. Will Messi score a penalty to win the World Cup? Will he miss the penalty to lose the World Cup? You know, anything could happen. I am very interested in though. Is Messi going against that side of the French uh, defense, which has looked exposable mm-hmm. at times? I mean, Teo. The first game in the tournament, France did not concede a goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Teo against England did not have a great day defensively. Uh, but like Konate is gettable. He's not the best center back in the world. I mean, he's a pretty good center back. He's good. He's pretty good today, wasn't he? Yeah. I just, I, he, they're not going to have a time. Uh, well, if Okano is fit, he'll play instead. So it might not. Oh, be you're right. It was, just, it was just an illness. It might not even be Konate. Yeah. But they're not going to have a ton of help from if Rabio recovers Rabio. Uh, Fofana will offer a little more help, I think, but the Mark Messi, but it will be interesting because I think Argentina can, they don't sit with the ball a lot, but I think they can comfortably mm-hmm. sit with the ball. I think they will likely be the team with a lot more of the ball. Okay. Yeah. I'm not saying score early, yeah. obviously, but it'd be, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, France so often, as you mentioned, gets an early goal in these tournaments and, mm-hmm. and is able to defend leads. So it'll that dynamic will be interesting too to see if, if Argentina can can change the script in that point. Because it would be interesting to see France playing actually a goal down in a big moment in need of in need of pushing. Um, we match, haven't seen it much. This lineup, I would start Paredes in a three-five-two over just to who? Mark Griezmann. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, over who? I think I'd probably. Oh, it's tough. That's the I'd tough thing. Paul. Yeah, I don't like as much. I I like him. I think he's a very good player, but I think I'd bench him just so you have somebody to focus on Griezmann and yeah, make him uncomfortable. I think the so much can run the Messi versus Griezmann effectiveness could end up being the thing that yeah that decides it. Mm-hmm. Well, we saw interesting in 2014 though, comparing that finals run for Argentina. Messi was absolutely brilliant in the group stage and then didn't score in all of those knockout games. Mm-hmm. And teams did a pretty effective job of neutralizing him for the most part. And it kind of came down to if his teammates could, you know, they're taking him out of the game because the teammates do something. That hasn't so much been a factor in this. Mm-hmm. Messi has been really effective in all of the group stage games so far. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how France combats him too and and you know, who's, is, is somebody going to man mark him? Is what's, what's the idea there? Yeah. I mean, that's one of the issues I have looking at. It's going to lump shoe many on him. They don't have a guy like Predis or DePaul who will just like, like absolutely hound you and make yeah. you want to die all. Who will get dirty. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah, we'll see. Um, any more thoughts about the final? Um, Raw. 
It could also Rock come down box. to just the goalies as well. I mean, you could, two yeah. Your had quite a good tournament. Yeah. Two guys who have absolute games in them as well, who have, we've seen them both show up in major situations. Mm-hmm. Emmy Martinez in the Copa final. Yeah. recent like every game he's played this tournament and, yeah and if nice. it goes the distance emmy martinez is an excellent penalty stopper yes um and that that would be that would be something yeah. anyway i want to before we wrap up today here i want to do a i want to really do a quick segment that i've oh, made no. up here for you okay. um where we talk about the eliminated teams i'm not prepared for the segment no you're not supposed to be that's the oh, idea God. um so well, how this is going to work is uh, we're going to go through each eliminated team from the round of 16, then the quarterfinals and the semifinals. Um, and you're, we're, we're going to trade off doing, doing a, a wrap-up minute. First things off the, off the tongue that you think of, oh, anything it. about them. And we're going to time it. You're starting with the United States of America. Oh, thank God. One minute, one. go. All right, this was, it's somehow both a really, really good tournament for the U.S. and that they got out of the groups, which was not an easy group. But also really disappointing because it's I don't know how, but just losing this round of 16 feels disappointing. I think the big takeaway is that we have no idea what's going to happen in the future with the U.S. No idea. Particularly around the coaching situation. Greg, obviously the whole Gio Reyna and Greg stuff. Which Whoa, what a thing. We haven't talked about on this pod, but go look it up. He like Maybe said we'll do something. like a little quick mini thing about the yeah. U.S. at some point. He said something at some meeting and it got out and Gio's upset about that it got out. But Gio was kind of being like a little pansy. <laughs> and stuff, and so true. he almost got voted out of the team um i was very impressed by the midfield i think that was probably the big strength and the big takeaway for me from this tournament was that the three midfielders Eunice, mckinney and adams could be uh potentially even a world cup winning midfield if we can develop some pieces around them maybe particularly in defense get a little bit of some younger pieces to put in there nailed that minute Brilliant. You did it, David. Congratulations. Now, uh, it's my turn to step up to the plate here. I'm going to tackle Australia, the Socceroos. Socceroos. What a tournament from the Australians. First time, or the second time, excuse me, they've ever made it out of the World Cup group stage. First time since 2006, their first ever tournament. Um, They won more games, which is two in the World Cup than they've ever won before. Um, and it was shocking. One of my favorite things about them is is their striker, Mitchell Duke, who plays in the second Japanese division <laughs> um, and yet still had a productive tournament, scored a huge goal. Leckie was really good. Matthew Leckie now, you know, Melbourne City, um, who scored that incredible slaloming goal against Denmark that, that saw them through into the round of 16. It was great seeing what uh what it was like in Melbourne and all across the country after that went in it seemed to have rejuvenated a big a big uh desire and passion for for the game of football for the game of Australian soccer however there's stuff going on in Australia right now with the league that seems problematic hopefully that's okay yeah you've mentioned that to me and I still have no idea what I gotta read I gotta read read Seb Safford Blore's article about it okay um now David you're up okay. you're talking about Japan Japan had an up and down tournament, but a lot of highs. I mean, the loss to Costa Rica is a big down, but wins over Germany and Spain, taking Croatia all the way to penalties. Incredible resilience. Yeah, incredible resilience. Really good job of, they fought in a lot of these games too. I mean, the Spain one with the two goals so quickly after halftime, I thought, I think we underestimated a lot of their players, especially the ones playing in Europe. Mm-hmm. Too. I the think technical we, quality. Yeah. I think we kind of just discounted them because maybe just because they're Japanese and there's a little bit of 
internalized stuff there. But like Duan had a great tournament. Uh, Maeda was very good. And it's, they just have some very good players that I think we just kind of overlooked. Overlooked, yeah. Uh, guys who are playing and delivering for their club teams too. I think it's also maybe partially because they're in Germany and we in the U.S. don't watch a ton of German Bundesliga soccer, but big props to them. Big props to the Japanese players. Perfect timing, David. Brilliant. All right, so I am going to move on to South Korea and go. South Koreans are another team I think we maybe underestimated the technical quality of a little bit. I think it's lesser than Japan's, but um, this was a big moment for them. I don't think they've been in the knockout round since 2002 mm-hmm. when they were co-hosts and made the semis. I think obviously their their best player is undoubtedly Young Minsan, but we also saw perhaps a new face um, come out of the woodwork here um, in Cho, Gui Sung Cho, um, who's been hilariously trending on Twitter ever since because he's attractive and young. Um, so I wonder if people will be looking at him for a European move at some point. Obviously, there's also Min Jae Kim of Napoli um, and their back line of five Kims. It was also one of the stories of the tournament. Um, I think they want to play sort of fun attacking stuff. And uh, I thought they were surprisingly clutch in big moments. Um, and I think I underestimated them too. I think there's a lot of teams in this tournament that we ended up underestimating. Um, and so congratulations to them. Beating Brazil is hard though. Yeah. I do have to say before we go on to the other teams, when we were going through the previews, mm-hmm. almost every team like South Korea and Japan were like, oh man, I'm actually kind of excited about these teams now. Mm-hmm. That if we hadn't personally gone through and looked at like, also true, yeah. What are these rosters, what have these guys been doing in the last six months to yeah. a year? Like that I probably would have counted off. And then just seeing the talent listed in front of my face mm-hmm. on those like roster pages that we had, I was like, oh, this is actually yeah, a kind of exciting team that I'm looking forward to seeing. South Korea was I think, for me. But... Yeah, I think the factor too is that international football seems to be improving tactically, you know, gradually. So I think we're at the point where I mean, obviously there's like talent pools and stuff, but I think also at the level where um, where some of these squads are a little more adept and and technical than they used to be. And so even if they're, you know, not going to change their fortunes in the tournament so far, a lot of them are better to watch than they used to be. I felt that way anyway. Yeah. Um, all right, let's do Senegal and go. All right, Senegal, I think they're one of the big what-ifs of the tournament. They had probably the most glaring missing player without Mane in that squad. And it was a good tournament. I think they, it felt like they cruised through the group stage. I know, you know, they were one one with Ecuador until the seventieth minute, right? But it never felt like they were going to go out in the groups. To me, even after they lost to the Netherlands in the first game, mm-hmm. they felt it was always going to come down to that Ecuador game. Yeah, but they just felt like a step above the group stage. But without Mane, it didn't feel like they could really do anything in the round of sixteen. So I think there's just it was a question mark of like a what if, you know, one of those teams that you wanted to see more of, but. That England game is tough. Definitely. Yeah, it was. And it was I think part they really fell they, apart in a way. Because I, they I, don't I was... have a player who can really attack you yeah. and get, get at you. But from a defensive standpoint, they really fell yeah, because apart. because they had to commit yeah. so many players to try to create something. But, I mean, Koulibaly, I thought he looked like near prime Koulibaly during the group stage. And then he didn't have a good game in England either. Sara was very impressive as well. I thought he had a great turn. Great. Now it's my turn. And we're going to do Poland. I hate this team. <laughs> this team sucks. This team made the knockouts, but they didn't deserve to. Mexico should have instead. Uh, that isn't to say credit to them for doing it, but they have all these fun players and honestly a pretty good generation outside of just Lewandowski. And I think they could do more with it. Like 
They they got obviously got Matty Cash in. They have Zielinski playing amazing. Uh, Jakub Kaminski is a fun 20-year-old at Wolfsburg. Frankowski is good. Uh, Szymanski, too, at Feyenoord. And uh, what's his name, too, at uh, Roma? Oh, Zaluski. Zaluski. Yeah. yeah, on the left, who didn't even play every game. Yeah. So they just have a bunch of players on a paper. You're like, wow, these guys should be able to attack pretty well. Like, good for them. They can really back up Lewandowski. And then they just sit on the ball and do nothing mm-hmm. and lump it up to him all alone. It's been the same for, like, 10 years, and I'm sick of it. Someone get Poland a fun coach, for God's sake. Yeah. You did leave off uh, two players that I thought were probably the best players for Poland this tournament. I was just saying the attacking ones. Yeah. But uh, Kiwi Orange, Chesney had great tournaments. But yeah, Chesney. Uh, I should have mentioned Chesney. I agree with you. I thought Zelensky in particular was really disappointing, except maybe the France game mm-hmm. didn't look very good. Chesney is the, statistically the best keeper of the tournament. Yeah. Saved a lot of pen. Yeah. But, all right, who do I have now? Um, You have Switzerland. Okay. Um, Three, two, one, go. Jan Somers. <laughs> That's all I have. That's to all say. you have to say. That's all I need to say. He's so underrated. Top of the dome. Come um, on. Guys, I. It's hard to talk about Switzerland because they just got smacked by Portugal in this round of sixteen. Like, it almost feels like it takes away from their results against Serbia, uh, which I think that was probably the highlight of them. You know, like great game that one. Yeah, really, really fun game. The way they caught really Serbia fun to watch. with the high back line at times too. Like. It was just one of those, like, Serbia got caught a lot with the high back line, but Switzerland really made him pay for it, three goals. Shakiri, I thought, was a very, like, kind of a surprise. I thought he might be done, you know, now that he moved to Chicago, where career's good. Chicago fire. The least fun team in the world. Hey. Uh, but, you know, he's no Schweinsteiger, because he didn't lead Chicago to a World Cup. <laughs> but I just think uh, the conversation should start and stop with Jan Sommer being really, really good. Um, Mbolo. I thought was also very good this tournament. I thought he, he talked about him being a question mark and he answered that question mark. Yeah, again. usually re- I criticize Switzerland for the same sort of like pragmatism that isn't fun to watch, but mm-hmm. that wasn't really the case. I mean, it was sort of the case in their opener yeah. against Cameroon, but after that, they were kind of fun to watch. And <laughs> like partially, they were kind of at loose, against loose in the back, weirdly loose in the back. That Serbia game popped off. And goals were flying in from everywhere. Yeah, and they just completely. This happened a couple of times in this tournament, like with Senegal against England. They just completely folded. Yeah, lost their lost down, their nerve. Once you go down like two in a knockout, it happened a weird amount knockout, in this tournament, though, didn't it? Have to push too much, and then and then happened a weird amount. Yeah, it happened to Costa Rica. It happened to Senegal. It happened to Iran. It happened just like a bunch of it happened to Costa Rica a second time. <laughs> no, it didn't. Yeah, they got smacked by Germany in the second. Well, they scored two goals. Oh, we're, we're going to talk about uh, I'm Spain. Yeah. Spain, Spain, Spain. Well, well, well. Here we are again. Uh, another disappointing tournament run since their since their last title and world title, which was in 2012 Euros. Been disappointing ever since, save for the 2020 Euros, where they reached the semi and played really well. Lost on pens. I'm wasting my time. The point is, Spain, no one would have thought that we'd be here them losing nil-nil to Morocco on pens after that absolute demo- demolition of uh, demolition, demolition, uh, combined two words, of Costa Rica in the opener. They they looked okay against Germany and then were totally caught by Japan. They All of a sudden, they couldn't score from open play anymore, and it's the same old problems with them that they've had. You thought Luis Enrique was the guy to solve that. They seem to have built a really good program under him, even though he's kind of a weird guy. And then all of a sudden, they they go back to being totally incapable. Um, strange, 
they have to look in a new direction now. It's the same issue with Spain as I feel like every tournament where we talk about them. It's like, oh, they just passed too much. Yeah. Like, I mean, no, but yeah, they set I World Cup records for, for passes. And, but they have moments where they look like super capable of of creating actual chan- tangible chances and finishing them. And then they have moments where they just are like inept and don't do. And it's, I think Luis Enrique looked like after 2020 euros that he built something, it was building something kind of special with young players and stuff. And now I think they have to do a cliched hard look in the mirror and figure out what the fuck they want to be Nico moving Williams forward. When he came on against Morocco. Nico Williams is super fun. Playing a little more direct. Yeah. Get on the wings, but shit, you get Netherlands. Ah, fuck. sorry, man. All right. Don't be, don't be, be, don't be too hard on me. Yeah. Go. Uh, the Netherlands, I mean, the Argentina comeback was one of the moments of the tournament. The Coop Miners free kick to, was it Woot who scored that? It was Woot. Yeah. The one, Coop Miners that was the best thing ever. was might go down as like the iconic moment of the tournament, depending on what happens in the finals. So awesome. It was a great moment. Uh, very disappointed in their penalties. I thought they looked pretty bad at taking them. I expected Nopper to, to do something more as well in goal since he's so massive i think his story is also one of the moments of the world cup too like coming through getting essentially cut by a serie b team and moving back to the netherlands and working his way he's back been up. all over yeah he's really bounced around finally made a name for himself first international cap at the world yeah. cup uh delict was embarrassing again another major international delict didn't play after the first game yeah which was embarrassed yeah <laughs> you're talking about the most expensive center back of all time i'm thinking and a player who starts for Bayern and he can't get a minute. Just can't or, work. Just doesn't work for him. In the like Dutch. Just, yeah. Um, good group stage performance. Good performance against the U.S. They're really bad against Ecuador. Really good against the U.S. Yeah. And pretty, I think their talent gap was exposed right now yeah. against Argentina. Also, Denzel Dumfries, I hate him, but he had a really good tournament. Yeah. Um, so. All right. He just looks so mean all the time. He does. He, does he, looks, he looks angry. He looks so angry. He looks angry. I know. anti layout. Oh, it's time for Brazil. Okay. Yeah. Wow. This is this is a lot to unpack. All right, let's do this. So Brazil, Brazil, Brazil. Here again, another quarterfinal exit to a European nation. Uh, it's been the same pattern for them, except in the 2014 when they lost in the semis, 7-1 to Germany. Each time, though, eliminated to a European nation. Um, it's been their crux. They really shouldn't have lost against Croatia. They weren't clinical, as we mentioned earlier in the pod. They didn't ad- adapt their tactics properly, um, and they were they were naive when they conceded the goal already up one nil in like the hundred and seventeenth minute um, in extra time. They should never be in the position where they're getting counterattacked with like a four v four scenario or a three v three scenario, um, running at their running at their defensive box. Um, so I think. Like obviously their talent pool is ridiculous and it's not going to stop being ridiculous. Neymar looked like he had scored the iconic goal of his international career only for it to be taken away. Um, obviously they're fine because they have arguably the most talented roster in the world still, but they might need to, they might need to, they might need to look at themselves in the mirror too and think about how they want to be a little flat, maybe a little more clever and, I and tactical. I'm worried about Brazil for years from now. I, Why? I mean, like, they'll still be good. Why? But because look at who the stars on that team are. They're well, yeah. Older. Well, yeah, but they have good all the they Packers. They yeah, they're good. But they're Vinicius, not. 22. Vinicius, Rafinha. Rodrigo's 21. Rafinha's just not that good. I don't think he's that Anthony good. is not going to be a star. Anthony's 21. I mean, he's not going to be a, like. Martinelli. Elite. Uh, Martinelli. I don't. 
don't think he's. You don't think Barnelli's good? No, Barnelli's really good. I think he's solid. I don't think he's ever going to be like a Neymar level player. And Bruno Grimaresh keep... is about to enter his prime. Lucas yeah, Paqueta is going to enter his prime. Is not Just have be. a lot of good he's players. Be like thirty. Yeah, that's your prime. <laughs> that's your prime. Oh, no, that's your prime. <laughs> no, it's not. Yes, it is. The prime is like twenty six to thirty. That's. A... He's going to be right on the other side. He's going to be basically the same player now. He might be better. Yeah, I'll say, I think they're, I think but, they'll be fine. Richarlison will still be in his 20s. Yeah. He'll be 29. Yeah. I don't want to be relying on Richarlison still. That I don't know. It's a pretty good place to be. It seemed before. You need to replace Neymar. And yeah. I don't see them having somebody who replaces Neymar. That's possible. Neymar could still be playing at 34, too. We'll see. His injury history suggests maybe not. But, yeah. but, uh, and that's what I'm concerned about. But he, plus, he's hurt half the time anyway. So, like, they played a bunch of games without him and then we're fine. I don't, I, I'm not worried about Brazil. But I do, I'm more worried about Brazil, like, like, Getting over this over more and more insurmountable hump that they have with at this stage where yeah. they where the first time they're sort of challenged in a tournament, they end up bowing out, even though they should be the better team. Yeah. When it's I say happened a lot of times Brazil, in our clarify, I'm worried about their them compared to the other elite mm. teams, right? Them compared to France. I think what was really disappointing in this Germany. tournament though is this is the best team they've had since 2010 yeah. at least. Yeah. Like far better than their 2014 team, which sucked. Mm-hmm. And the 2018 team, which was pretty good, but not I think this was the best team in terms of squad depth that they've had in a really long time. And it does feel like huge to lose to Croatia and not even like one of the top, top teams feels like a huge waste, huge waste. I did see a stat after the quarterfinals on Twitter. So it's like 75% chance it's true because, you know, Twitter and fake news go hand in hand, Uh but that England have, are the team that's been eliminated the most in quarterfinals for Brazil is second. Yeah. So happened a lot and four out of the last five, uh, closing in on Mexico's streak, might be looking to, to one up them eventually. Hell yeah, boys! Yeah, All right. Who do I have? Four more to go. You get your favorite team ever, England. England, ready? Go. Yeah. Um, England once again go out the first time they play a really top level team. It's just kind of the pattern for them. Just like Brazil. Yeah, just like you know, <laughs> England are the Brazil of Europe. Um, I was. They wish. Sometimes very happy with England and sometimes very frustrated with them. You mean happy like happy like if I supported England. Oh, okay. Um, I thought their performances against Iran and Wales and Senegal were all superb. And the US one I'm willing to just kind of like ignore because it seemed like an outlier. Yeah, it seems like an outlier. And they looked good against France. They had they did some really good moments. Uh the Saka in particular had a great showing against France. Um, but it's just like I don't I just don't think they're quite at the level of a team that wins these tournaments. Like I just feel like they're like one half step behind, which is a very frustrating place for them to be if you're an England supporter. Do you think that half step behind is like actual quality or it's that like insurmountable sort of like public pressure of never winning anything and going out heartbreakingly every time? I think is it's it the psychology? I think it's both. I think they are talent-wise a half step behind you know, the teams like France, Brazil, Argentina, right? Those uh-huh. those truly top-level teams. I uh-huh. think they are a little bit behind them talent-wise. But I do also think... I don't think they're behind Argentina talent-wise. They don't I have, think Brazil they don't and Messi. France, sure. Well, yeah, but... Yeah. Uh, but I just think, you know, like... But they're a good enough team to win. But then I think you add in... I don't think the psychological stuff is that big a deal for them because I think the players... I do like think, they I can feel take, like Southgate is kind of... That's maybe has been his to his biggest credit. Mm-hmm. as manager is doing away with some of that like outside noise some of the like yeah the 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 public opinion and like criticism of the team but like this seems to be like the most supported the english team has been obviously there are people that 
will yell horrible things at pe- yes. at the players. But I feel like this is the most connected. Every every country. The most connected the, the nation has been with the with the national team in a while. So I think there's a lot. I think there's a lot of positives with the England team. I think this is the best I've seen them play in a tournament ever. <laughs> actually, Southgate so, does also bring up two things I want to mention. One, I think Southgate should step away. I think he's it's he's been a been while. There. It's been so long, and I feel like at some point you just need a new guy to come in do something different. I, I think, think it just cycle, depends like who. I think he's the best English manager since they've won the World Cup. Oh, but I don't. Yeah, I, I just think, think the, the results, cycle yeah. is over. Yeah. Um. The other thing is the game against France. Uh-huh. And, especially in the second half, they looked like England before Southgate was there. They were just shooting shots to shoot. They were impatient. They Occasionally. Yeah, I, but I thought it was a big issue for them is that they weren't taking good shots. They were just yeah. taking shots because they were like, we need to score. Do you think um, Southgate has that, the one thing that... And I like, thought normally Southgate's done a great job of yeah. preventing them from doing that. And like, I've seen people be like, oh, well, they just didn't finish in the game. Like, no, they were taking bad shots. They weren't getting the ball to the players you want to get the ball to in the positions to yeah. score. Like, I guess the question with Southgate is like a macro version of Burhalter, which is like he can set up the team well, and he's got – even when he's got a, like a good atmosphere and backing of the players. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes down to like making tactical tweaks that can change the outcome of the game, he doesn't usually seem to have the answer there Yeah, unless the players do it on the pitch themselves. And I think that's like with these top managers and the, the tournament have gone far. I think we were talking about Scaloni and – even Deschamps, like they've had those moments where, yeah. where they, they make the player change that alters the yeah. formation, or they just straight up alter formation. They right. yeah. we haven't really seen that without mid game. You know, he doesn't really have the second plan. That said, they did play really well in this tournament, and I think they can hold their heads high, unlike most years. <laughs> All right, uh, so close now. I'm gonna talk about my favorite team, which is Portugal. Uh, I was so thrilled Portugal went out to Morocco, not just because of Morocco's brilliance, but also because fuck Portugal. Um, there was all the Cristiano Ronaldo drama. He ends up getting dropped in the round of 16 in the quarterfinals by Santos. Um, but I do, I am enjoying myself thinking about Santos saying he had one more trophy left to win with Portugal heading into the tournament. Uh, um, obviously they have a really talented roster and they have more promising players coming through. Gonzalo Ramos, we saw Rafael, Rafael Leao, we saw, but I think Santos' stubbornness inevitably did them in because he refused to do anything different uh, with the formation. Other than I have to say he did well to bring Gonzalo in the first place against Switzerland. That surprised me. Um, but other than that, it's like, why don't we see Leao until deep into the second half when you're a goal down and you're, you need something different to change the tempo uh, verticality of the game. I don't know. I don't know why he's so stubborn, but it cost them again. But I was also so good when he came on every game. Very frustrating. I wanted to see so much more layout. All right. Do your last one. Uh, Do your last one. Croatia. Then he's going to walk the dog, folks. I'm going to go walk the dog. That's not a metaphor. Croatia, go. Croatia. I mean, another great run from Croatia, the small Balkan country, only 4 million people. 4 million and people. And in two tournaments to go to a final and then a semifinal. It's the third time they made a semifinal since they come into existence in like mm-hmm. the 90s or something. I yeah. need to brush up on my I think history. 98 was the first tournament they were competing as Croatia, right? Yeah, I okay. think so. Uh, just another great run. The midfield continues to be one of the best in the world. It might go down as one of the best international midfields of all time all time yeah yeah especially because modric may go down as one of the best midfielders of all time yeah and then you add in two other elite level players and the fact that they had a guy like rakitic and replaced him so easily is Mm. incredible um jacob gabardial deserves a ton of credit for his tournament despite the last game i think he's 
probably my breakout player of the tournament. I think he's so good in defense, uh, gave them a lot. And they were just, uh, they were, weren't fun to watch, but it was exciting to see them make another. Good game. at penalties. Good at penalties. Yeah, they never win games. They never win games. They, they never win good, games. Love a good penalty shoot. And as we said earlier, they were lucky to even not get knocked out by Belgium. But that's, you know, tournament football sometimes. Shit happens. Yeah, you know. they have Take a, advantage of the opportunities you're given. They have the dog in them. You know? They that dog in them. They got that dog. And you know what? Even though they're going to obviously not have Modric moving forward, like, I still think they have, like, some good players in key areas where they're not going to be making runs to third place, probably. But I think they have, if, if you know, if they figure out some of their striker situation, they still have a promising a promising tournament team. Yeah, and they have some guys that could be options there. I mean, Zagreb obviously pumps out kids just every year Ooh. to have a new start. Don't easy that way. <laughs> Whoa. But it'll be interesting to see how they transition play style-wise, too, into the new uh, kind of new generation of creation players. Yeah. And the last one is Morocco, but we just spent a whole podcast talking about Morocco. Yeah, so just cool. rewind to the beginning, and you'll hear me wax poetic and David wax poetic. Um, well, we fucking done it. How about that? We fucking done it. And uh, I'm going to end the podcast right there. How about that? No goodbye. Just cutting off. Five, four, three, two, one. Cheers to the gaffer. <laughs>